Hey, it's time for another episode of the Vince in the Bay podcast. I'm Vince, and this episode is an interview with Mark Nunnikoven of Trend Micro from the 2019 RSA Cybersecurity Conference in San Francisco. I spoke with Mark about his work in cloud security with Trend Micro, and we discussed other things such as the anniversary of GDPR, uh, Mark's cybersecurity pet peeves, and we touched on other important topics such as RoboCop, the TV series The Americans, Ben Simmons's jump shot, or lack thereof, and much, much more. Enjoy. It is RSA 2019, and I'm now here with Mark Nunnikoven, Vice President of Cloud Research at Trend Micro. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. How's uh, RSA treating you so far? Good. Easing into it this year. Um, you know, it's day zero, I think, technically, according to the schedule. So uh, lots of special um, activities on the Monday, CSA Summit. Um, you know, everyone's slowly... Wait, what's the CSA Summit? Uh, summit? Cloud Security Alliance Summit. Uh-huh. Um, so they do a day of programming, and then there's a bunch of uh, full-day special um, tracks throughout the day today. Uh, but today, I've opted out of that to um, meet with some friends, catch up with some colleagues, um, and kind of ease myself into it, which is a nice change, rather than kind of be overwhelmed out of the gate. What else are you looking forward to this week? So RSA is always interesting because there's so much activity and so much going on. It's really kind of hard to get a handle on it, especially when you're in the middle of it. Um, I'm actually looking forward to the expo this year, which sounds really weird and really runs against character for me. Um, But I want to see sort of what people are doing, um, what the messaging is, um, because I think, you know, we're at a point where people continue to talk about all the crazy advanced stuff and all the new tech and all the latest and greatest, but we're getting further and further away from talking about the basics and the fun fundamentals. Um, and that's really what makes defenses and what helps organizations move forward is the fundamentals. They're boring, they're uninteresting, but that's really important. Um, so I want to see that contrast. I want to see you know the, the, the cutting edge versus how many people are giving more of a pragmatic view. Also, there's a lot of swag. There is a lot of swag. It's a good time to refresh your gym gear if you need new t-shirts for the gym. Um, or socks seem to be super popular. This oh, really? year. Take a peek around. Yeah, I haven't been on the floor yet, so I don't know what the hot thing is this year not sure yet because everyone's still setting up um, oh, but i was down okay. earlier because uh trend micro is an exhibitor so we were oh, what, down, you, what kind uh, of swag do you guys have uh we have um a few things we're launch- actually launching a new uh, marketing campaign so we just refreshed all of our swag uh-huh. um so i know our giveaway uh this year is an ipad uh, like we're doing multiple giveaways for ipad minis with custom covers that line up with this new campaign that we've got um, which will be really exciting. Their interesting actually looks really, really good. Um, and uh, I think we've got a few others, but I'm not sure. All the, the That's one of the things I'll be learning this week is seeing what the new Trend Micro swag is, but I'm sure it's going to be really cool. So you, you mentioned a, a new campaign. What's the new campaign? Yeah, so the new campaign um, is the art of cybersecurity. Now, um, as a forensic scientist, I've, when I read about this, I was like, wait a minute. This is a time when we need to be focusing on science, not on art. Mm-hmm. Um, but the gist of the campaign, so the, the art of cybersecurity is really taking all the data, taking all the knowledge, taking all the science side and understanding how to apply it in a way that takes that level, that artistry. So, um, you know, threat intelligence is a great example. Everyone's got threat intelligence feeds. Most companies, most large organizations pull in a ton of them. But what do they do with them? Right. So there is a rigor, there's process there, but really it's that deep level expertise, which reflects, you know, Trend Micro's 30 years in the business um, to be able to know where you need to 
you know, actually apply some of this stuff and, you know, massage it a little bit. And that nuance, that's really the art. Now, the cool part and where this ties into the swag um, and the booth is that we've gone out and had um, some renowned um, data artists take some of Trend Micro's threat data and backend data um, and create pieces and works of art with it um, to really sort of a, a hook to start that conversation to help people understand the scope and the scale of the problem. Like what are, I'm, I'm envisioning like ASCII art, like something like that is... Not so quite. Like, that would be cool, though, though we do have a good, uh, a good repertoire of folks who are good at ASCII art. Um, this is more on the scale of we've had um, some uh, detections from uh, like phishing uh, detections on endpoints across um, tens and th- uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of endpoints visualized into this absolutely beautiful um, fractal unfolding. Uh, like It looks like basically like a tree. Um, and then when it scales out, it's almost into a, a swirl of a sphere. Um, which and is kind of what it's kind of like a mosaic type thing. It's, or? it's like a mosaic. Um, it's hard to describe, um, you know, in words. It's really one of those things that you need to see. Um, but um, there's a couple of different pieces of art. So one of them uh, looks uh, is looking at um, server protection um, through multiple cloud environments, and they've gone with a sort of type of threat across a different color threshold. So it fans out um, very much like uh, like a deck of cards, um, but and each one represents different levels and different types of threats from like remote execution. Um, to known vulnerabilities and things like that. So these are um, literally works of art. They're not designed to be visualizations that you as a security professional could use, but they're designed to be conversation uh, starters and to remind people that, yeah, there's a ton of science behind this. There's a ton of rigor and process, but we need a deep level of expertise to really take it to the next level. And where can this art be seen? Uh, so it can be seen if you're here at RSA uh, or if you're at the show, you can see it um, in our booth, which is uh, 627. Um, and uh, online, uh, theartofcybersecurity.com uh, goes live this week. Oh, um, cool. And it'll be a continuing um, campaign for Trend Micro around the world. It's been over a year since uh, I last talked to you, mm-hmm. um, and uh, a lot has transpired. Um, I noticed you've started a vlog series, Mornings with Mark. Yeah. Tell um, me about that. Yeah, so originally started um, as a way to kind of get my brain set in the morning. Um, you know, the challenge of uh, being in a research position like I am is there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of things to pursue, and I found myself kind of frazzled of like, what do I want to focus on today? What do I want to actually get done? Um, so I started doing a vlog um, and originally uh, doing it live streamed, and now it's still streamed out on Twitter, but you can get it on my YouTube channel. Um, and it was just to kind of get uh, three to seven minutes around a particular topic and a little bit of a deep dive in. So uh, I really liked doing it um, in the f- beginning. That was important because it was just for me because no one was watching. Um, but it's grown to a nice little audience. Um, I, wa- I watched. I, s- I and, saw a couple episodes. And thank you. I appreciate that. I actually like the episode on secret app telemetry. Oh, yes. Um, so Give us a little teaser about that. Sure. Uh, so there was an article, and, and most of my, my vlogs start off this way, is I saw an article, and there was a little bit more to it. So the Wall Street Journal, in this case, had done an article on a number of applications that were sending uh, telemetry 
telemetry, so data about your usage to Facebook. Um, and the applications were things like health trackers, um, uh, women's health trackers, um, diet uh, information. Uh, there was a realtor in there. There was a wide variety of apps with d- data that you might not want sent back to Facebook. And there was no warning in the apps. There was no um, user interface that said, like, hey, Vince, we're going to send this info back. You know, every time you put what you're eating in here, we're going to send that back to Facebook. So this was obviously a big revelation to a lot of folks. Um, but I went deeper because I knew from the development side what this was about. So Facebook has this um, program called app events, which helps developers uh, create app profiles. But there's a number of other things in the same category. There's um, Google Analytics, believe it or not, is targeted towards desktop as well. There's Apple's Test Flight. There's Microsoft's HockeyApp.net, which is transitioning to a new name. But all of these things are designed... HockeyApp.net? Yeah. it's. I have no what, idea. What is, they, wait, wait. And that's sending telemetry back? It is. So all of these are set up to allow developers to integrate them into the app and then send custom events back, uh-huh. which makes sense. Um, to an extent. Um, so part of the, the, the vlog I was doing was uh, I run a reverse firewall on my laptop. So that shows me all the outbound stuff and asks me whether or not I want to allow it. Little snitch. Little snitch. Fantastic I have that app. too. When, when I saw you mentioned it, I was like, mm-hmm. hey, I must be doing something right. I have something that Mark has. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't go that far in general, but in this case, yes, little snitch is a fantastic tool. Um, and it's a great user interface because it has a bunch of default, like this is how uh, it works on, on Ma- uh, Apple's Mac OS. And it has all the normal vetted system calls already whitelisted. So you don't have to worry about it. So when you install something like Office 365, you now start to see how many times that calls out and to where it's calling. So, uh, you know, it's looking to Office 365 to authenticate, but there's a bunch of traffic to Azure as well. There's traffic to HockeyApp.net. Something like Adobe's Creative Cloud goes to, I think last time I counted, 11 different domains. Um, And most of them seem like reasonable because they're acquisitions, it's Typekit, it's Behance, it's stuff like that. Um, But this trend is what I was talking about on this vlog was... All of our apps over the last few years have switched from being local apps to connected. And there's a significant disconnect between what the user expects and what's actually happening in the background. Now, from a product perspective, I totally understand that. You want to help your users. And if they call and say, hey, it didn't work, if you had some telemetry, some idea of what was going on, you might be able to actually fix it. But there's a lot of potential for abuse there, and there's a lot of information that you might not want as a user being sent out into the cloud. If somebody is interested in uh, checking out your vlog, where, mm-hmm. where can they find it? Uh, a couple different places. Um, easiest is on YouTube. Uh, so uh, YouTube, uh, my channel is Mark NCA, M-A-R-K-N-C-A. Um, and that's my handle on pretty much every social network. Um, you could also hit my website, MarkN.ca. Okay. Let's talk about some of the work you've been doing at Trend recently. For sure. So my focus is cloud, um, and now that means everything, uh, because everything connects into the cloud, uh, which is really exciting from from a research perspective. So uh, when we talked last year, we were talking a lot about uh, operational technologies, a lot of OT stuff. Um, That work has continued. Trend Micro Research um, has been doing a lot of work around um, IoT, commercial side, and the operational tech. Um, We continue to find sort of the same trends, and it's been interesting now that we've done a few major projects um, over the last couple couple years. So uh, two years ago, we had done um, smart uh, like connected cars, um, factory robot arms, uh, and some healthcare work. Over the last year, um, we've done um, more on healthcare, exposed cities, and we have a report um, that uh, was recently out around um, our director, uh, one of our research directors, had the team in to hack his smart home. Is this the uh, cloud app security 
Uh, cloud app security is around uh, email um, security support oh, okay. um, and some other things, but it's another IoT report we're releasing here at RSA um, around uh, all of these commonly available, you know, when you go and buy your smart light bulbs and your thermostat and the doorbells and all this kind of stuff and what the aggregate means. Um, and the, the interesting thing is there's a theme across all these different reports. And in the IoT world and the OT world, we're seeing a massive conflict between the timeline of how you use these things and how long these things live and the software world's idea of we're just going to fail forward. So you buy a doorbell. You probably never bought a doorbell. If you do buy a doorbell, you don't expect to buy a new doorbell every year like your phone. Um, yet it's now treated like a software device. And you know, can you update it? Do you think to update your doorbell? Do you think to update your smart kettle? Um, things like this, is, it's a whole new world. Um, and we're seeing this mismatch. And it's causing a lot of gaps in the cybersecurity. So I've been uh, perusing uh, the Trend blog. Mm-hmm. And I came across this incident response in the public eye post by you. Yep. Uh, what, were, what were some key points about, uh, from, from that that you wanted to get across to people? Yeah. So for those of you that have followed me, uh, you know, so my mom and, and, and Vince, fortunately enough, two, two people in my audience who have followed me along know that I've got two soapboxes. Um, one is uh, public cloud storage and misconfigurations. We see it all the time. I go crazy. Um, the other is this incident response and sort of forensic attribution. So if something happens um, and it hits the headlines uh, where, okay, company X was breached, the first question everybody outside the company asks is, who did it? Right? Who's behind it? Who's responsible? That is the least useful thing to be. Uh, it's always the Russians, isn't it? Or another nation state. No, it's always the there. Russians. It's pretty much Russia. I think there's another and nation if it's state not, that if might it's, give If it's not Russia, it's Russia posing as North Korea. Oh, yes. Or China hmm. or Iran. But Fair. it's really Russia doing it because we know Russia hacks all the things. Fair enough. And I mean, I, I am a fan of 80s action movies as well, um, where they are always to blame. But uh, Oh, you know what I'm a fan of? I just got into, well, I just finished The Americans. Ooh. You ever seen The Americans? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Very well I binge written. watched the entire season in like three weeks. My only challenge with that was that there was, was crack. Some, for there were some really dark, harsh moments in there that. Oh were my hard god! To watch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very. Yeah. I had to avert my eyes a couple of times. Interesting wow. stuff, though. Felicity's yes. come a long way. I can't make that. I cannot reconnect that in my mind. Not after. Not after Carrie's the Ameri- characters. I just, no, not it anymore. Work doesn't work for me. I wanted her to die at the end of that show. Wow. I wanted both of them to die. Okay, for those of you who haven't seen the show, that makes sense. That's not a horrible thing. Yeah. It totally makes sense yes. given the plot lines over the years that you were just... I love yeah. the show. Yeah. I was a little dis- let down by the ending. I'm not going to give away too much, no, but, but I the, wish it would have been more of like, at least like a Sopranos-esque type of yeah, ending. Yeah, but the challenge is always the same. How, if you've done that well over that many episodes and that, like those intense plot lines, yeah. is there actually an acceptable ending? It's no matter what, it's going to be a challenge. Right. That's why I think the open end, either death or open ended. Yeah. So absolute, it is done. Here's how it happened, or mm, you fill it in. Yeah. Fair. Totally fair. Um, so to bring that back, though, if you look at the plot lines and what drives that story, is the people, right? It's yeah. always it's the characters. It's there. And anytime the public hears about a breach, 
it's the same kind of thing. Okay, who was involved? Who messed up? Who was attacking it? What's the, what's the story there? The reality of doing the work behind it, though, on the defensive side is that your number one thing is to get your customer, like to keep service to your customers and get production back up and running. If you're in the middle of this, you got called at two in the morning to respond to a breach. You're not worried about who did it. You're worried about fixing right? You want to put out the fire, you want to get things back to normal. Um, but at the same time, the board, your boss, the CEO, the press, the, you know, your competitors, everyone's like, oh, who did it? Maybe it was this, maybe it was that. And this blog post on, on the trend blog, so blog.trendmicro.com was really about, okay, here's what the process is. And here are the real questions. And yes, I understand the human requirement, but it's frustrating that that's the only thing that comes out as opposed to like, hey, what can we do better? Or are other companies in this space or other companies in a certain situation vulnerable to the same thing? Like, is there something we can do to help raise up the defensive bar versus trying to figure out who's to blame? Speaking of incident responses, last year, Trend Micro Mm -hmm. had several products banned from the Mac App Store. Mm -hmm. It was reported that the uh, Trend Micro applications... Dr. Cleaner, Dr. Antivirus, Dr. Underachiever, Dr. Battery, Dr. Strangelove, and Dr. Feelgood were all banned from the Apple App Store for a collection of browser history that it was sending to the Chinese. Now, I might have embellished that a little bit. Some of that might have been a little bit of misinformation. Uh Uh, I guess it turns out that the browser data wasn't sent to the Chinese. It was uh, uploaded to a U.S.-based server. But this did put a little bit of egg on the face of Trend, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So what happened with that situation? How was it fixed? And how was your incident, your company, Trend Micro's incident response approach? Yeah, 100% fair. So yes, some of those were embellished. Some of it's, uh, and this you know relates back to that blog post as well as getting you know there's a story, there's people interested, there's people connecting different dots that might not be the right dots. Um, so from a factual perspective, uh, these products are targeted towards consumers. Um, so you know the home user, um, and they were um, for some of them, not all of them. Uh, they were collecting uh, the past 24 hours of browser data, um, sending that to the trend backend. Um, which was in a, in this case they were routed to the U.S. Uh, endpoint, and they were looking for URLs that were visited that were known malicious. So the idea was that if you installed one of these products um, that had this feature in it, and it wasn't all the Doctor Suite, but it was a few of them, um, it would pop up and say, "We know your uh, computer went to a bad site that is known to be infecting other systems. We're going to clean that out for you." All right. So it was purely from a security perspective um, where it uh, broke down. And the problem uh, from the trends perspective is that that wasn't clearly communicated. So for a user to understand that, they had to check the support page, which broke down each piece of data and what its use was um, and into uh, one of the agreements. Right. So one of the end user agreements, the privacy agreements. So the information was there, but it wasn't where it should be, which is right in your face as a user saying, hey, this is what's about to happen. Would you like it to happen? Yes or no. So definitely lessons learned there from an incident response perspective. um, It's always a challenge. Right. We're a global organization trying to get the right teams and the right people online to track this down. Um, because in different perspectives, it was already handled, right? So, so well, we already communicated that in the support page. It clearly states what piece of information. Yet from the user's perspective, why would you go to support unless there was a problem? So it's that disconnect um, and the action we took so that, you know, it's 
incident response process. So identify, contain, move forward. So, okay, is there a problem here? No, we're not leaking data. It's working as expected. It's not a security vulnerability. It's a communication mismatch. Okay, next step. What can we do? We had a blog post up on our blog um, pinned for uh, two months or three months um, with links to statements from the CEO explaining what went on, um, showing evidence that, no, here's exactly what was on certain products, sending it to the U.S. Here's why. Um, so owning it, really important. And, you know, no BS, not a, not a spin, not a PR story. This is what happened. Here's what happened. Uh, here's why. Um, and then now uh, we've gone further than that. Instead of just looking at the doctor series, but everything within the trend portfolio to look at how do we communicate what we collect um, and explain why and give the customers uh, the control they already have, but bubbling it up so they know they have that control. So from an, an, uh, an opti- optics perspective or PR perspective, do you feel like uh, you were able to, to, to salvage the, the brand? Like, I don't remember it. Like, I honestly don't remember it being that big of a story. I just knew it because I... Yep. I'm fully aware of trend and what what you guys are doing, but um, did uh, did you feel like you, that that from an optic standpoint that you guys the the trend was able to recover? I believe we did, um, but you know, as part of the incident response process in any incident is less, le- lessons learned. So looking back and going, okay, here's what happened. What can we do better? Um, and I think while we did a good job at communicating, there's several points that we could have done clearer, louder. Um, right out of the gate, um, but it's uh, overall. I, I would definitely say it was, uh, you know, it was well handled. Um, it's ideally, you know, it would never would have happened in the first place, and it would have been yeah. clearly uh, yeah. communication. But the for me, especially, you know, so this is me as a security pro, but also me, you know, working for Trend Micro. The nice thing here is it was purely a communication issue. It wasn't actually mm-hmm. taking things and you know selling the data and all this kind of stuff. It was purely just hey. It was listed in one place where it should have been right in, in somebody's face as a user saying, this is what's going on. Here's why. Um, because when you explain it to people, people go, oh, you're double checking to make sure I'm safe and secure. Not a bad thing. Not telling them that's a challenge. Yeah. I think in general, when these things happen, the average user doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like something just like maybe Equifax was like a blip on some people's radar. But in general, this most people don't care. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's the response of the industry, like professionals, mm-hmm. like the people you, you the, the, the influencers uh, in the InfoSec community on Twitter or mm-hmm. wherever who, who love to, to shame and name companies. Yeah. Uh, how is how, how did the, the community respond? Did, did, were they pretty forget forgiving? I think it was, uh, yeah, I would. I mean, I don't think it really bubbled up in a lot of places. So I'm very active on social media, um, and I didn't see it. And a lot of the time, if something happens, people will actually reach out to me. So I'm clearly labeled. So if you go to my Twitter profile, you'll see, you know, it says my title and at Trend Micro. Um, and a lot of the time, people in the community will reach out and say, "Hey, Mark, you know, this is I saw this happen. What's really going on? Can you give me a skinny or a heads up? This looks bad for you guys." It didn't happen in this case. Um, you know, I got a few people who pointed to the blog post and said, okay, that's really good. You know, good for you guys to get in front of it. Um, but I think the biggest challenge in this scenario was because these apps are distributed through the app store mm-hmm. is getting the word out to the customers, right? Because it's a, there's a step between us and them. Um, whereas, you know, if it's a direct relationship, we can talk to them directly. We can email them. Uh, they can contact us. Um, having that in place, I think, played a little challenge in the communication. Um, but in the community of influencers, it really was a non-event. That's great. That's great because I've seen a lot of people get ripped to shreds. Um, yeah, it and, and 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 from my perspective, I didn't see much 
blowback at all. It's good to hear. Um, so uh, just for the record, the apps have all been since reinstated. Everything's yep. good. Everything's uh, everything's good. And uh, a nice thing on that is Apple has double checked everything as well as a verification as an extra layer of protection. So again, miscommunication. It's all been resolved. Um, but a good learning opportunity as well for yeah. the company. Yeah, great. Last year when we were here, GDPR was uh, all the buzz and rage. Mm-hmm. It's been a year since that has uh, gone to an, into effect. How has that legislation changed your business model, influenced mm-hmm. what you do? Has it? I, I would imagine it probably helps companies like you. Um, but what 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 have the, what have been the noticeable changes since that's been enacted? Yeah, so it has been a full year. Um, the noticeable changes is the vast majority of how it affects us um, is educating customers um, because they hear you know general data uh, general data protection regulation GDPR. Yeah, there we go, um, GDPR, and they uh, know it's around personal data. They know they have security requirements. They're not sure what it actually means though. Um, and over the last year, we've determined what it means because there's more and more cases going through European regulators. Um, there's been some fines levied out, some rather significant fines, um, 50 million, I think, against Google um, uh, from the French regular from CNIL. Um, and uh, we're seeing more of the practicality of what it means. Um, but from Trend Micro's perspective, it's helping uh, customers understand um, the security requirements under it. So basically, you know, loosely put, and I'm not a lawyer, thankfully, um, but loosely put, it means that you need to have a security practice and pay attention how you manage user data um, and track user data for European citizens um, and uh, allow them to see it and disclose it. And anytime there's a breach, you need to report it. Um, so it's if you're running a good security practice, you're going to fall in line with GDPR um, or at least very closely um, just because you're doing good security practices. It's more around the data management and data regulation piece um, that people realize there's a big disconnect between the European point of view um, and you know the U.S. point of view around personal data. So in other words, mostly it's, it's education, making sure the customers understand yep. the implications and, yeah, and then requirements for, and all that stuff. Yeah, and for products where we run the back end, so something like um, Deep Security is a service that we offer to protect servers in the cloud. Wait, what's Deep Security? Uh, Deep Security is a trend micro product designed to help protect servers no matter where they live. So whether it's in the cloud, in your data center, um, but that's uh, a product where we'll run the back end. So we run the management interface. Um, and as a, GD, uh, as a service provider, we have to fall under GDPR as well. So we have to tell our customers you know, what's happening to data. And in this case, it's a security control. Um, so it's not like a consumer um, a, a situation where you're tracking data in that way. Um, but it's yeah, it's, I think GDPR has been a general net benefit for everybody um, because at the very least, it raises the topic of how are we managing cybersecurity? How are we handling data? privacy um, as opposed to the sort of the default previous to that which was vacuum in all the data get as much out of it as you can and try to protect it now there's very real financial consequences from not doing uh, protecting uh, the data you're entrusted with i'm disappointed with that answer what, what are you what are you looking for I was hoping deep security would be some sort of like shadow security industry that we don't know about like the deep state yeah that would be uh you know that would be interesting um, but I far prefer the, the practicality of that. It's a really simple. All right, fine. Yeah, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Um, what do you predict the security and privacy ecosystem will look like in five years? How will it be different than today? Hmm. I've got two answers rolling around in my head right now. There's what cynical me thinks will actually happen. I want that answer. And then there's what I want to happen. Okay, let's get both. Okay. 
cynical me thinks we're going to continue to see uh, a massive amount of activity in the cybersecurity space, a lot of buzzwords, a lot of point. This is, you know, the coolest thing ever. You need to use this. It will protect you. And people will continue to ignore the basics. They won't have strong fundamentals. Um, you know, they will. So if we news, you know, I, I'm a basketball fan. I know you're a basketball fan. This would be the equivalent of everybody only doing like 360 tomahawk alley-oops and no one can hit a layup or rebound. Um, that's where we're going. It's sort of that natural um, progression of what's happened over the last five years where it's got. You're talking about Ben Simmons. <laughs> yes. No one can hit a jumper. Yeah. We, you know, you the got one The future is Ben Simmons. Of, the, of cybersecurity. Close, yes. But Ben's got some solid fundamentals. He just lacks in one of the core pillars of fundamentals. He's the only player I've seen where his defender could potentially get a three defensive three-second violation while guarding him on the perimeter. Yes, fair. Unbelievable. Fair. But okay, I think, we, yeah. We digress. Yes. See, whereas, so if you keep this analogy going, though, where... I love so, how you can turn, like, my random... Uh, sidebars into something relevant to security i want to see how i want to see how you get defensive three second violation yeah and ben simmons back to security no problem so we're lacking in the fundamentals like ben simmons lack of a jumper which allows for that defensive three seconds is where we're going where we should be going is back to the tim duncan style use the backboard yeah, it doesn't look great. It's not going to get you on the top 10 on ESPN, but it's going to win you a bunch of championships and it's going to build a dynasty. Okay. What's your biggest pet peeve with the cybersecurity industry? Really, it comes back to that lack of talking about the unsexy, the fundamentals, the, the things that actually make a difference. So the, one of the most depressing things for me every year is reading the Verizon DBIR report, right? It's the gold standard for incident response reports. It's really well written. It's really, the methodology is fantastic, but they've always got this super depressing stat that basically says this number, like this percentage of breaches would have been prevented because there was a patch available at the time of the attack. And that number always hovers around 80%. So 80% of this fantastic report wouldn't exist if people could do one of the most basic things, which is keep your systems up to date um, or mitigate if you can't actually fundamentally patch. So there's that challenge of, you know, keeping the basics, keeping going, and but nobody wants to talk about them. And then, you know, relevant to that, I think we as an industry completely ignore the human side. I think there's a lot of how we structure our security teams within the organization that lead to these bad outcomes um, or negative outcomes or at least not progressing. So I'd given a talk at um, Sector in Toronto this year uh, around are we set up to fail? And it was basically explaining by the data how we as an industry have not done a good enough job um, to defend the organizations that we're, we're uh, tasked with defending. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that we've isolated security teams when we need to be integrated with, every, uh, with everybody else. So we've said, hey, you're responsible for protecting everybody, um, but you don't have the ability to protect everybody because we're going to put you in the corner. And to demonstrate that fact, I was speaking to a room of about 1,300 people, and based on the metrics, I had two people stand up. And I said, you guys, based on the stats of how many cybersecurity professionals are working on an organization are responsible for everybody else in this room. So a room of 1,300 people, two people are responsible for every single technology and work product that these people in the room produce. That's not possible. It doesn't work. I think we radically need to change that, but we don't like to talk about it. And that's a huge pet peeve of mine is we don't like to talk about that. The technology's cooler. It's more interesting. It can give you an answer. People are really hard to deal with. Culture change is challenging, but I think it's far more important. 
Okay, on the flip side of that, what's one thing that you love most about the cybersecurity industry? What what gives you hope? What gives me hope is the energy around it. So there is a lot of people who are interested in it, and there's a lot of people coming with new ideas, as long as those new ideas don't get drowned out. Um, so one of the things that I'm surprised I never get asked, especially at a conference like this with a lot of security traditionalists, a lot of people who have been in the industry a long time, nobody's ever asked me why I work and focus on cloud, which I find crazy. I mean, yes, why it's do you work, work on cloud? Be- thank you. Thank you. Um, because there's a chance that, was, that actually was going to be my next question, by the way. Yes. Well, I saw that in your notes, yeah, so I can a hundred percent verify that. Um, I work on cloud because there's a chance to do things differently. Um, the cloud is all about amplifying what your team's capable of. And a lot of these teams are working uh, in a small group to deliver some really amazing results. And security has been kept to a side of that and it's starting to break down. But because of that, there was opportunity to go teach people who aren't used to security a different way of being able to do it. So instead of bolting it on at the end, building it into the fabric of what they're working on with a whole new set of tools. For me, that was really exciting because I could actually get change in sort of an isolated green space environment um, because people don't want to do bad. They want to try to do what they can. Nobody sets out to write bad code or open security holes. And the cloud was an opportunity to see that made real as opposed to taking a whole bunch of traditional views and trying to change that over time. So it was really an opportunity, you know, selfishly to see change or the possibility of change. Okay. One last question. When are the robots going to take over? 2033. I got to wait that long. You do. Unfortunately, Um, we have made too many smart kettles, smart toilets, smart light bulbs, as opposed to investing in robot tech. Um, but you know, we'll get there. I think AI and robotics kind of have a long way to go, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I think we can, I think we're getting to the point where we could pull off RoboCop close cyborgs, dude. I think we're close. Make I mean, cyborgs that do not only physical security, but cyber security. Nice. Nice. Well, RoboCop, done. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. And you avoid a lot of the AI development problems. It's uh, it might be the way forward. So that's about 14 years from now. As long as there's not an Ed 209 project to go along with the RoboCop, we'll be okay. I don't, I don't think I recognize that reference. It's the um, haywire, dual, uh, completely autonomous robot that RoboCop uh, blows apart in the first Wait. one. Yeah, is that the one where the, the, the thing that comes in the boardroom and then like yes. blows away? Yep. Oh, my God. Ed 209. Oh, that... I saw that when I was a kid, and that movie freaked me out. It, uh, it was, it's a violent movie. It was, and uh, interestingly enough, one of the first movies to be rated X for violence, what we got in the theaters was a cut-down version, rated R, to get for public release. If you get the DVD, it is unrated X level for uh, yeah. violence. And I think it's because of the scene where the guy gets shot yep. at the beginning. Oh, yeah. That is yeah. Yikes. hardcore. Yeah. It is. But the best part was a fantastic movie. One of my favorite parts of that was the ads they interspersed. Because they had these dystopian sort of ads into the uh, when they were doing cuts between scenes, they would do like an ad for oh, yeah. Detroit yeah, yeah. and the car that looked like a junker on the outside but was a luxury vehicle on the inside, mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't get stolen. Really it, visionary stuff. Yeah, except that they predicted that everybody would be driving Ford Tauruses. There is something to be said for product placement, um, but as a favorite of yours, I would highly recommend not watching any further in the series. Just stick <laughs> with the original and enjoy, and don't go any further. Well, Mark, I've enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much. Once again, your what's where, where can we find your your video your vlog? 
yeah, so you can find my YouTube channel. Um, so youtube.com slash C slash Mark N C A M A R K N C A. Um, or everything I do links back to my normal website, Mark um, you can always find me blogging on the trend blog, blog.trendmicro.com. And on Twitter, Mark N C A M A R K N C A. Cool. Well, if the Raptors can get by the bucks, we might uh, we might have to um, you know have a friendly wager on the finals NBA finals. I I am looking forward to that, uh, but I think Golden State's still going to win as much as I love my raps. All right, we'll have to see. Right on. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Well, that's another episode of the Vince in the Bay podcast. Thank you for listening. And you can find more information on this episode and past episodes at vinceinthebay.com. Subscribe to the podcast on any of the over 9,000 podcast applications and hit me up on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash Vince in the Bay. Until next time, ciao.